genre. Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez. And today we are concluding our miniseries on the live action films of Wes Anderson with his 10th film just released this year, 2021's The French Dispatch. And uh, it's just us. No, no guests. This is, this is the closest you guys are going to get to uh, what is, what is uh, basically going to be a bonus feature. You'll get your first official bonus feature um with uh scream 2022 in like just a few weeks by the time they're hearing this Mm -hmm. um but uh but yeah this isn't gonna have any real like background info really because there's not a lot because wes anderson is currently shooting his 11th feature asteroid city Um, oh wow yeah that's what it's called he's shooting it in spain right now weirdly his least whimsical title yeah, I'm wondering if it's going to have like a sci-fi thing Ooh, to it. Wow. Like Wes Anderson's version of like retro science fiction. Right. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I didn't even it's like I didn't even realize I for, I forget he's a person that can uh-huh. like watch and read stuff and Yeah. They're like, "Oh yeah, he probably has seen like like Blade Runner." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, so um I mean I don't know, that's just by the title, but it could be like licorice pizza, you know, like where it's just right. like it could be about like a record store. Yeah, who knows what it's what it's actually or a about. Beach. Um so so this uh this movie, The French Dispatch, mm-hmm. uh we both just saw it for the first and only time, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um and uh it's you know, it's his first live action feature since 2014. So yeah. it's been the longest gap. Yeah. Longest gap between live action films. Because um, the gap between Darjeeling and Moonrise Kingdom was only five years. So wow. This was yeah. seven. Do you um, remember when this was being reported as a musical? Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. Completely, Weird. definitely Completely not. Out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if that was just a complete miscommunication or misunderstanding, or if it was like or going to be, and then through art, artistic stuff, it stopped being a musical. Mm. Or it was misunderstood that it was this one, and it's actually the next one, right? Asteroid City. Yeah, like it's uh, like he was he was uh, you know keeping all of the plates spinning or whatever you know mm-hmm. um this however is uh this this is this is this is interesting i mean it's definitely it's funny because it's still it has a lot of the earmarks that we've been talking about you mm-hmm. know in terms of like and by the way if you haven't seen french dispatch if you didn't get out to the theater to see it we are going to spoil the whole thing during this so like 
don't think we're gonna like dance around spoilers because we're not. Um, granted, by the time this comes out, yeah, yeah, it'll be on VOD hopefully by that point. Um, but in any event, it has the earmarks of uh of the sort of like you know the curtains or the the just that sort of like metatextual thematic element in all of right. You are you, you the audience member are like holding a physical object in your hand Mm -hmm. or in a theater seat watching something happening. You're not just watching a movie. Right, right. And so this is a copy of the the last issue of the French Dispatch, um, which is uh you know edited was was edited was edited and like sort of started by a man named Arthur Hollitzer Jr., played by Bill Murray. And he says in his will that when I die uh, as soon as I die, the next issue of the French Dispatch will be the final issue. All of the journalists will be paid out, um, but it will it will serve as my obituary, the final issue of the French Dispatch. And so that's what this movie is, is that final issue, which is sort of a collection of um, features and articles. features over the years that I guess they felt he was fond of, or maybe he had previously chosen them. Or oh, something. that's funny. I, I took it to be, it was just the issue that he was working on when he died. Oh <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Cause it, cause they are for all from like different periods. So that's very true. Yeah. So I just thought it was a best of, mm-hmm. um, where it was like, these are all of his favorite features. Then the only new thing was going to be the obituary which was right. going to be like the last piece um, that they're like starting to write in the epilogue. Mm-hmm. But it's kind uh, of like, a, it's like how the best song in the world in tribute, you never actually hear it. Like you never actually <laughs> yeah. get the obituary. Right. Right. Um, or the monster mash. Uh, you never actually hear the monster mash. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, I bet he loves the monster mash. Yeah. Um, so this is essentially three short films. Basically, I was going to say it reminded me a lot of when you have a favorite author and they haven't written a novel in a long time, which is almost always the case because novels take a tremendous amount of time to write. Mm-hmm. And then you find out that they have a book coming out, but it's a collection of short stories. Right. And you're like, oh, OK, that's that's still cool because it's a new book. But, it, you know, yeah, it, it, it kind of tempers your expectations a little bit of like, yeah, they, it feels like you just had these really quick ideas and he wanted to jam them all into a movie yeah well because it's almost like um because any one of these could have been a feature of themselves i feel like right um i feel like you could have expanded some of the side characters in each of these stories and turn this into a feature turn each one of these into a feature Mm -hmm. um but i but you know like like you're it's funny that you say like uh, that you're like, oh yeah, it tempers your excitement whenever you hear like the short story thing. But then like, I always get sucker punched by that because then I read it and I'm like, oh fuck, these are so good. Like, cause you're right. not expecting yeah, yeah. them to be so good. And then they are. And it's like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, and that's what this felt like. It's like, you know, by the time we got to the end of each one, I was like, man, I am satiated. I couldn't possibly... <laughs> have any more Wes Anderson and then it's just like get ready because the second course is coming <laughs> you know story number two yeah um that felt like three was, stories yeah oh man yeah so so okay so we start off with sort of an introduction to the magazine like the history of the magazine 
um, the French Dispatch, and we get that really great shot of the guy <laughs> serving all of the drinks that they get every oh, day. Oh, that was great. Yeah, yeah. And of him just like this like crazy obstacle course that he has to take to get up to their office. Mm-hmm. It was so delightful because it was just immediately, like you said, like so quintessentially Wes Anderson. Yeah. of a world that is already so lived in and we're just seeing it by all the complicated there's like a coke and a root beer float and a coffee and a shot yeah. of something and yeah oh the little the, the waiter pours himself a cup of water and then you realize halfway that it's for him because it's such a long walk yes <laughs> and the audience was like ah and they're like oh we're back yeah no that's really good what somebody had um what is that shot called? Like the the drink called with the oyster and the egg in it. Um, I don't even know, but I know exactly. I can picture it's like yeah. a hangover cure. I think mm-hmm. uh, like an old wives' tale hangover cure kind of thing. And it's a it's a really perfect visual metaphor because like the staff of the French Dispatch is just the weirdest collection of misfits you've ever seen, even for a Wes yeah. Anderson movie. Yeah, because he just goes out and he sort of like adopts them all um, over time. I keep saying it. I've been saying it all season. Wes Anderson would make an amazing X-Men movie. <laughs> he would. <laughs> he really would. Um, he would have made a really amazing Umbrella Academy movie, too. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, gosh. Yeah. I mean, like, um, I really loved, I think it, it really it reminded me a lot of Grand Budapest because it felt like it was Wes Anderson honoring this one person. Mm-hmm. A fictional character inspired or honoring a real person. Right. And he's like, hey, this is a person that deserves celebration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's, you know, I told you before you had seen it, after I had seen it, that like, it's sort of Wes Anderson's Pulp Fiction and that it's like Mm -hmm. this anthology film of like, you know, vaguely connected things. Yeah. Um, Out of order. Right. There are, there's also this really interesting thing. This the like just like the way that he chose to design this, like it, you know, his stuff is always impeccably designed. But the the choice to make each story in black and white because that's the color it would be when you were reading it, right? Yeah, is like that's such a good yeah. detail. <laughs> yeah, of just like yeah, you're reading a story, so it's 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 black and white. And every once in a while, the prose will be so good that you have to see it in color to just be like. Mm. This is this is the part that Bill Murray's editor loved. Here it is. And you're going to see it in full color. Yeah. Yeah. You're kind of seeing what the editor is seeing. And it's like it's structured like, you know, a magazine. And that was something that was I wasn't expecting to personally like, like almost like you said, like my, my expectations were tempered. Yeah. So I, I was a big magazine kid. Um, as a teenager, I, I would like go to the store and just pick out magazines like Esquire. Mm-hmm. Or I never picked out the New Yorker, which the French Dispatch is heavily inspired by, and, yeah. and even down to the covers. And but like what a magazine was to me as a teenager was it was this little volume with all these different stories written by these really cool, opinionated, smart writers in New York, mostly. And it would be like, I went to a monster truck rally, and like I went to visit this chef in Kentucky that chain is changing the way that it's affecting the whole city. Or like I followed a father onto death row, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I would get all these like slices of the world out there quote, you know? Mm-hmm. And it really informed of like 
oh, people like really care. Some people really care about like belts. <laughs> and, and that's what I felt watching this movie was I was like being like these writers saw something really interesting about the world, these fictional writers. Yeah. And we follow them through their world for a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the first piece is written by Owen Wilson's character, mm-hmm. um, whose name is escaping me, but uh, Owen Wilson's character who writes about the city where they all, you know, I guess I mm-hmm. presume live. Um, they work, they certainly work there. And it's him on sort of a bike t- tour of this city and it's just talking about how beautiful it is, but talks about things like, sex workers and homeless people and rats things like yeah rats and bill murray's just like can't you just talk about something else like can't you talk talk about flowers or something that's nice and he's just like i don't like flowers it's funny Um, is it took it took bill murray explaining it for me to realize that what yeah oh right a lot of this has been pretty lurid (laughs) yeah because owen wilson's writing quote is so beautiful and full of passion well doesn't it just remind you of wes anderson himself like, oh, for sure, yeah. Like, later in this movie, right, there is an extended full frontal nudity scene. And it mm-hmm. was, like, shocking because I was like, I'm not used to seeing that with a Wes Anderson. And yet, despite the fact that I have just gotten off of seeing his entire filmography and know for a fact that there is gratuitous nudity in almost every <laughs> entry... Right. It's yeah, just it's not what I think of when I think of Wes Anderson. It's it's exactly the way that like Owen Wilson writes about these lurid things. Mm-hmm. I just don't think of Wes Anderson as lurid. And even thinking <laughs> back on the scene that I'm 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 you know we're going to talk about later, right? It's not really lurid at all. It's kind of beautiful. And like yeah, yeah. that's that's the thing. Is it so like it's just really interesting. And then and then Owen Wilson like riding his bike like into the sub. The sub oh, so great! <laughs> just like oh fuck, and then just <laughs> like the like the the choir the 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 kid church kids drunk off the blood of Christ. Yes, that are just like wreaking havoc upon the town. Uh, they chase him down the street. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And like you, the little like the animation behind him when you can tell that he's like, you know, quote on a bus and like the animation is just moving behind him. It it, it all just came together now having watched Grand Budapest. And yeah, yeah, there's and I was I was surprised by the amount of Isle of Dogs I saw in this. Definitely. One. Yeah. Um, it, it just like the. Like this one, this one is a little more. um flat than a lot of his other stuff does that make sense right no no because like not to jump around too much but there is a uh an animated like comic sequence oh yeah for sure which i we have to talk about when we get there but yeah but yeah like but like a magazine article very flat and very like two-dimensional yeah not so much dioramic right the way that his stuff normally is and that's very much what i got from isle of dogs I don't know what it was trying to accomplish in Isle of Dogs, that sort of mm-hmm. flat, like almost um like peanuts sort of I was gonna say like, maybe it, if we were to like find an interview, maybe he was inspired by like sixties like manga or like because mm. we know he loves peanuts. That's true. We do know that he loves peanuts. Um so yeah, so so uh I just it's it's really um just visually it's it's very lush and it is 
it continues to be mind boggling that movies, a mo- movie with art direction that looks like this can only cost $25 million. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that's just been something I've been consistently impressed by during the series is how tight his movies are in length and budget. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. That he, he's found a way through whimsy yes. to, to be like, I can tell these really big stories on a smaller scale. Like Grand Budapest Hotel doesn't have to cost like $150 million. Yeah. And it can still look beautiful. It doesn't have to be two and a half hours. Yeah. It's true. Um, I really um, enjoyed at the end of the Owen Wilson thing. And I think this was like an early marker of the movie is Bill Murray's like complete like patience with him. Yes. <laughs> and how he totally spoils all of these writers. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the thing is like, you get a sense over the course of the movie, you keep cutting back to stuff with Bill Murray and it's just these like really wonderful moments of like memories that you would have of like, wow, that he was a really good boss. Yeah. Yeah. You get like these little slices of him poking in through the door and just checking in with his writers and like going through and just like, you know having just like the right two or three sentences and he's gone. But like, there's so much warmth and history. Yeah. In those moments. So that when you get to the end and you're reminded that he's gone, you're like a little sad, you know, yeah, you're like, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> this, this fictional <laughs> magazine is really going to miss out on this editor. <laughs> oh, yeah, really. um, but, uh, okay. So let's, let's go to the, our first feature, which is the concrete masterpiece. By J.K.L. Berenson, who is, of course, played by um, Tilda um, Swinton. Tilda Swinton, thank you. Uh, played by Tilda Swinton. So, I this is the thing that I really took away from this one, and I and I loved it. And I, you know, it's hard for me to pick a favorite. Um, mm. I, I, it was either this one or the last one where it was my favorite. Mm. Um, but the thing that I love that I, I really took away from this one was like. Holy shit, Benicio del Toro needs to be in every Wes Anderson movie from now on. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was that. I'm trying to, th- I mean, like, yeah, there's a couple of newcomers that are like, yes, whoa. But yeah, he just totally fit because he always is a little elevated and weird. Yes. And so he's just able to bring to life this new color in his world of like this grumpy, growling, dangerous like criminal but also he's just goofy about it you know like oh my god i mean the kind of weird quasi romance between his character and adrian brody was yes. like kind kind of touching by the end and he's like do you yes. like it but like <laughs> i love it and they just hug. They, they hug <laughs> man it was good to see adrian brody really like have his role was just so much fun like just yes. whipping back and forth between pissed off and jubilant oh god yeah ha, that's you know who else i i'm shocked hasn't been i mean i guess he doesn't need him because he's got adrian brody but um uh what's his name the pie maker oh I hate, yeah lee pace lee pace lee pace yeah. not having been in a wes anderson movie seems crazy to me at this point like that that first scene where adrian brody and benito del toro are like haggling over the price of the art yeah and i you it took me a second to be like oh oh he's also a prisoner yes um, so i only have five francs but he's like he paid like thirty two thousand dollars for the painting <laughs> um 
Yeah, so this is great, and we're constantly cutting back to Tilda Swinton at like a she's she's reading like the article as like a speech for like college students, right? It seemed like or like a talk yeah, or some at a kind college. of college, yeah, some kind of seminar or yeah. Um, um, the great thing about being a Tilda Swinton fan is like I've been a Tilda Swinton fan for like fifteen years, and it always and, pays off. <laughs> yeah, there's always going to be like, oh, she found a new kind of person to be. Yes. Like, There's that moment yeah. where she accidentally throws up a slide of her just like completely nude and and yeah. it just and she's like, oh, oh, that's me. And just looks at it. And it's like, oh, I'll, I'll switch that. And then just like, yeah. but just like kind of admires it for a second. Yeah. She's like, I'll make my drink now. And just kind of like yeah. makes a cocktail behind the podium. Yeah. Oh, man. So good. <laughs> um, um, He's really just Anderson is really just throwing off fake art pieces at this point yeah between boy with apple there's like five i mean there's probably way more than that just pieces of art or media that he introduces yeah 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 because i think that he understands what it is about art where it's just like it doesn't the and and he literally makes the argument like in this movie with these Mm -hmm. with the characters but he like i think he understands that like what the piece of art doesn't matter, what it is doesn't matter. What matters is people's reaction to it. That's what makes it art and what makes it um, important art. So no matter what it is, if the other characters are all like, no, I have to have that. If they like literally go to war over Boy with Apple, well, then Boy with Apple must be like an important piece of art, you know? Right. It doesn't have to look like it. Um, right but like there's like a moment where she's going through a slideshow till this one then it's like you know uh the the doorstop house and it's this black and white like ansel adams photograph of like a house that's shaped like a doorstop in the middle of like a wheat field <laughs> yeah and i was like yeah like that could you that could be in a i feel like that could be a real photograph yeah yeah and they hold it there for a long time too just to like my audience just kind of rolled with laughter like where like everyone right. it was like a, a minute like of just like what oh the doors oh it looks like a doorstop oh, and then you just like could hear people starting to laugh <laughs> and um yeah uh-huh. uh just but like the the, the kind of t- the love story or the the relationship that benicio oh and then benicio del toro's younger version uh played by tony revioli mm-hmm. when they like pass when they like yeah. pass each other, that was so beautiful. Oh, that was so good. Yeah. And they just like, they, they take, he takes off his necklace and gives it to Benicio de Toro, mm-hmm. who's like and, sits down with it. And he kind of has a moment where he's like, hey, like they don't say anything, but he kind of pats him and it's like, hey, good job being, being young version of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's good. Um, was, uh, oh, and uh, uh, Leia Sodu returned. Yeah. Grand Budapest Hotel. Right. The, historically the greatest bond girl that's ever bond girl ever yeah Matt, madeline swan <laughs> yes of course i that absolutely is. remembered her name even having seen the other one of course <laughs> two she's in two she's in two i still don't only remember vesper <laughs> the movie uh, 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 but anyway. yeah given way more to do than, than grand budapest or even the bonds to be honest yeah um yeah and no she's yeah. so good in this um it feels like the epitome of like a wes anderson love interest 
Right. You know? Yeah. Like, she feels like Gwyneth Paltrow in Royal Tenenbaums. But yeah. That, you know what I mean? That's a good call. Yeah. Because they're both very, like, inaccessible mm-hmm. and, like, impenetrable and, like, kind of uses, like, their beauty as, like, they almost seem, like, bigger than life. But then, like, you peek behind it and there's, like, this ocean of vulnerability. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like, her... Uh, like Natalie Portman's character in uh in in the right. hotel, hotel short, Street yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's he he definitely there. I think there is a a he has a cinematic type, if nothing else. You know, mm. like I don't know if those are actually the kinds of women that Wes Anderson is attracted to, or maybe they are. And he's like, well, I just, but I don't talk to them because they intimidate me. <laughs> I don't know. Um. They would certainly intimidate me, uh, but it is it is just really interesting him constantly grappling with versions of this character. Yeah, you know it, it's interesting. I'm now, I'm now kind of going through like the like the women in Wes Anderson movies, and you know there is like the kind of the mother and this character that we're talking about now, but there is kind of like the absence of like any kind of manic pixie ingenue type that yeah. I can immediately think of. Yeah. Yeah. What's uh yeah, cuz his cuz cuz his wife in in Fantastic Mr. Fox is Oh, that's funny. Actually, I think it kind of cuz there's a character kind of fitting the mold I'm thinking of in the next short. Um Oh. The the, oh, the, the, yeah. the, the the motorcycle helmet girl. True. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, what about um what about uh 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 oh man. Agatha. Um, uh well, sure. Yeah. But then I was thinking of the the girl um the girl in Isle of Dogs that. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, 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 the journalist. Yeah, the journalist. She's. a Yeah, yeah I don't know. Greta Gerwig. Um, no, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. I guess I guess more than anything, she's actually more of a male protagonist typical to Wes Anderson. Right. Kind of like she is kind of like that Max Fisher precocious. Fake it till like, you make it kind yeah. of character. I, yeah. I'm already a little adult with like my, you know, my, my reporter <laughs> yeah. flip book. And yeah. 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 Oh, man. God. Uh, but yeah, this was great. I mean, it was it was so funny, mm-hmm. and uh, Henry Winkler was great. Oh, that was that uh, was surprising when he when he showed up. Yeah, I was that's like, oh always, wow, <laughs> that's like the little treat of the little extra treat of getting a new Wes Anderson movie is like slowly just f- figuring out who all is in this, even if just for like two or three lines. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, this was uh this was a really really great thing. Um you know, I I vignette story whatever you want to. Yeah, v- vignette, yeah. Uh I I think what I one I really liked the love story between uh Benicio del Toro's um artist character and the guard um mm-hmm. played by Leia Sadu. Uh, it was it like I, I there was just something very real about it, and the way that he just she just like demanded his respect of like, look, we're going to have sex all the time. We're obviously in a relationship. I respect you very much as an artist, and I'm very attracted to you. But like, there is never a point where I'm not going to be in charge. <laughs> You know, like that, like that, that just this sense of just like no nonsense was, but like deep longing. I don't know. Like it was just a really complicated character that I was like really into. 
Yeah, and not a lot of dialogue. And again, like this is like a slice of a movie. Right. But you really do get like a sense of her being like this real person that existed. Yeah. Yeah. Like the 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 revelation that she had a kid. Right. Like, that oh, you just wow, never see. Like... Yeah, cuz yeah. you never see cuz you never see her she's either in her uniform or she's naked like posing for him. Right, yeah, there's no something. in between. Yeah, there's no in between. So you don't ever see her just like in like you know, casual clothes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just you don't, you don't think of her in any other way. So it's just uh it, it, like which you know, I guess well, like, puts it's you so funny put you in the perspective of Benicio de Toro who would only see her those two right because like, her first scene it's such a fun joke of like she's naked and so you're like oh she's a, a model for him he's a painter and then like she's like oh time's up and then she slowly starts putting her clothes back on you realize she's a guard yeah and he's putting on a, a straight <laughs> jacket jack. it's yeah yeah uh just no it's everything. really good um like i i i really uh i just i just really love this one the, the scene where he like can't figure out the art and so he just like get sets himself up at the electric chair and tells the guy to flip the switch yeah and so and so she does really quickly and he's like she's like is that what you want and he just like, no. she like yells at him and then she goes i'm gonna flip it on again he just like scrambles out of it yeah uh <laughs> that final so like that slow motion like tableau the fight was great oh yeah yeah no i love that um the final piece of art is really great as well mm -hmm um oh and something we haven't brought up yet i mean if you've, you've seen the movie but like this whole magazine the french dispatch is just an extension of the kansas city dispatch mm -hmm. and so like this art piece ends up in like this cornfield in and, kansas yeah in kansas and you just zoom out and it's yeah yeah tilda swinton's really proud she brought it there though mm -hmm. <laughs> we get young tilda swinton making an appearance in her own i just thought it was all communicated so clearly yes like it's really it, it it's so fun and, and light that you forget like I mean very similar to Grand Budapest where he's able to juggle these tones and eras just seamlessly. Oh yeah, yeah. Um yeah, no, I I I really I really loved this one. I loved what it said about art. I loved what it said about artists. I love how what it said about the worth of people, like mm -hmm. where it's like this is a man who decapitated two people to end up in prison. Right. Yeah, and murder. yet it's like but also like he ha he makes this beautiful art he, and he has he this beautiful <laughs> relationship and like you know yeah yeah it, it's like yeah it just is the the message of like you know just a, someone outcast from society yeah having this yeah still finding his worth yeah well and i and i also i wonder if this is like you know almost like wes anderson's sort of outlook on the death penalty of just like Right, yeah. Why, like, why, why are we killing? Like, as long as they're in prison, they can't hurt anyone. Like, who's to say that they can't like do something of importance while they're right. in there? Well, that reminds me a lot of what he was able to accomplish storytelling wise with with Zero and Grand Budapest, where that movie became such a. It, it's saying so much about. It came out in 2014, but about being a refugee and mm -hmm. the worth of a single refugee. And like the struggle that, and it's saying all this like very timely stuff now in our world, but it doesn't feel like he's like, it's, it's, a, it's, it's so it, it, it's in a Wes Anderson world that it doesn't feel like it's a Wes Anderson tackling the, the hot button issues. Right. It's just kind of mixed in with everything else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, 
All right. Uh, should we move on to the next piece? Yeah, uh, Francis McDormand's. Yeah, Revisions to a Manifesto by Lucinda yeah. Kremitz. This one, uh, I, I, I mean, like the spoilers. Like, I mean, the third one is if we're if we're doing favorites, if we're ranking them, the third one is just magical. And yes, absolutely. Maybe the, <laughs> maybe the best thing he's ever directed. Um, it's possible, yeah. But but this middle chapter hit me so much. Um, square between the eyes because like, um, it so it's like the you know black and white. Uh, it's about teenagers, and it's very much inspired by like um like Jean Luc Godard, like that sixties wave of friend. And like I went through a period when I was that in high school where I was like watching some of these movies and listening to that music and just kind of like, whoa, this is cool. So it, it was like, whoa, it was like operating on a few different <laughs> that's nostalgia awesome. levels. Yeah, no, that's awesome. This is, uh, this is the piece. This is about the chessboard revolution mm-hmm. uh, that takes place in the streets of Enui. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, Timothy Chalamet as Zeffirelli, the right. young revolutionary. <laughs> who is uh who is uh what does he say is he's, is he he's shy about his new muscles he's shy about his new muscles <laughs> just kind of like what you said about benicio del toro where it's like it almost seems like he was born to be in a wes anderson movie yeah just yeah like the the he's this he's such like an idiot but like you just you fall in love with them and he's so there's something really pure about zeffirelli because he's just like He's he's a poser. Right. Well, and that's the thing is like, I don't know. There's this thing about, about that. I think again, he's saying something interesting about the concept without like, like, I guess pulling too much focus on it, which is to say that like in the same way that he was talking about like the death penalty and like, you know, things like that in, in the previous one here, he's like, yeah, you know, we we have this entire this world history of revolutionaries and all of these things that they accomplished and all these things that they did, these great things that they they led these people into, you know, revolution and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And then they they die and you don't think much about them. You just think about the legend of them and they're like this like 35-year-old, 40-year-old man, but then when you read about them and you learn that like, oh no, they died when they were like 22. Right. And they were yeah. doing all of this when they were a teenager. And it's mm-hmm. like, again, it's like, it's that he's like taking the, the, that archetype that we've been talking about this whole mini series of fake it till you make it to the nth degree, right? To like its farthest point of like becoming right. a revolutionary. Yeah. You know this what I mean? like ordinary kid who is still just figuring himself out accidentally becomes this posthumous icon. Right. That's like on t-shirts because he looks cool. Right. And he's black and white, but you don't get that he was just like a kid. Yeah. Right. He's just a goofy kid who only and, had sex with two people. And that really makes me think of like, that's also what good magazine writing is. Yes. Is, you know, we found this person who's in the news or doing something noteworthy. Um, Like, like, you know, like, like so many like uh, Joan Didion essays that are in her books that I love or her visiting these people that were like revolutionaries in their day or fighting for these big civil rights changes. And she like pierces through it and finds the humanity of them. And it's like, they're just a person trying to like, you know, make a better world for world for their kid. Or like they go home every day and they feed their dog and that's their day. Yeah. And 
So when you read this article, you feel like you kind of, this person was brought to life for a few minutes. Right. And like, you get the sense that Frances McDormand is a really good magazine writer because she's like disarming these people and getting all these moments from them in the midst of this like weird revolution that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Which the whole concept of the chessboard revolution is really fun. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I was like, once I like figured out how, like what was happening, I, I was like really invested and I wanted like more back and forth with the chess moves a little bit. The second they waited too long, it was like, get the rubber bullets and tear gas. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is a very Wes Anderson joke. Like, yeah. (laughs) Um, um. But uh, yeah, like, I mean, Francis McDormand was great. Uh, but yeah, I was just really impressed with Timothy Chalamet. And yeah, this. just seeing this like 48 hours after seeing Dune. Sure. <laughs> uh, when he's like arguing with Francis McDormand and his other girlfriend, the motorcycle helmet girl, but he's like bopping his head back and forth between arguments. Yeah. In both films, he's nervous about his new muscles, though. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uncomfortable with his destiny as a messiah. Yes, true. <laughs> That's what he's destined to do. Oh, uh, man. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, what did you think of that Christoph Waltz cameo? I was shocked by it because it happened and I was like, I was like, oh, Christoph Waltz. I was like, cool, he's in this. But then it was like, not really. He was just mm-hmm. in like a scene. But then I and then I thought, like, would he be good in a what like in a, an extended role in a Wes Anderson movie, or is he too specific of like a flavor? Because he was very much. I mean, I, respectfully, I love. I mean, but Bond's greatest foe, or, or, of or Nesta, yeah, Strava Blofeld, right? Um, of course. <laughs> Who could he forget? Was ve- <laughs> Two films. He was he was very much Christoph Waltz. Yes, I would say he like created a. He was just like oh hello. He was supposed to be playing like a nebbishy nerd, I think, based on his wig. Yeah, but he was like Christoph Waltz. Yeah, he was just Christoph Waltz. So I don't know. Maybe that was maybe he just wanted to be in a Wes Anderson movie like once, and like Mm -hmm. he was like, oh well, I got this little part. Fine, I'll do it. Yeah, no problem. There's another pretty little part in the next story, but that's like a returning champ cameo, so it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. Well, the one that I was really shocked by, I think more than any other, uh, was what is what basically amounts to a cameo for um. Oh, I think I know who you're trying. Uh, Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, Elizabeth Moss. I I was like, I kept expecting her to be one of the writers of one of the pieces, but she wasn't. I almost wonder if she had another short piece, like the Owen Wilson one, but they cut it out of the movie at some point. That's interesting. Yeah, because I'm trying to remember what her staff position was. Yeah. She was even a writer, but I'm not exaggerating when I think, I think she has two lines. Yeah. She's, you see her like, maybe four times in the whole movie Mm -hmm. and yeah i think you're right i think about two lines of dialogue very strange yeah yeah i guess it's like it's it's like what would be weirder if it was like just an actor that you didn't know that's that was weird how everyone on the staff was someone except that one person yeah right well yeah because um once his name is on the staff too it only gets a couple of lines Um, oh jason schwartzman yeah, Jason Schwartzman, and uh, also I think another first timer. The um, uh, oh man, the guy that played uh, that played an Indian man in the first Short Circuit. 
but he's white. Oh, uh, Fisher Stevens. Fisher Stevens. Yeah. You're Fisher right. Stevens I'm... was on the crew. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, you're right. It is like he filled it with just people that he knows. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really fun that Jason Schwartzman was the cover artist. Yes. I did really like that. Um, and presumably drew that uh, that animated sequence that we get later. Right. <laughs> the little hand uh, turkey he was making at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, so Timothy Chalamet's character has an affair with Lucinda Kremitz, um, who is obviously much older than him. Uh, I'm a virgin and... too, except for Mrs. Kremitz. <laughs> me too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> well, except for Mrs. Kremitz. <laughs> that was such a good line. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. And we're introduced to her, um, who is, uh, Lina Lina or Lena Kadori, um, mm-hmm. an Algerian actress. Uh, oh, she was who, great. Yeah, she was. She had a really cool energy to her, and I wonder if this is going to lead to any more like American roles for her in the future. Um, I hope so. But uh, yeah, I definitely hope so. I thought she was. Uh, she was. Uh, well, I, really cool. I felt like a really three dimensional character of like mm-hmm. so, like so that young person that is so full of fire and so uncompromising, and then you realize, oh, it's because you're a kid, right? And it, but it never feels like a betrayal of the character. It's just like empathizing with, you know, right. Being, being right. that kid. And then also her privilege. She was kind of like uncomfortable with like, Hey, aren't you like, aren't your parents like really rich? She's like, no. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, uh, and, 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 you know, reckoning with the fact that like, you can't really like good or bad. You can't, you can't do anything about where you come from, you know, right. Like that's yeah. not your fault. Um, and reckoning with that. And then just like the, yeah, this front that she puts on of like everything that you like is bullshit. And he was like, <laughs> you know, like you're, you're stupid, oh, the pop <laughs> you're star stupid manifesto. Wants... And, then, oh, yeah. and then he's like, oh, he signed it for you. And she's like, oh, well, I'll keep that as a keepsake. <laughs> <laughs> but everything else was bullshit. <laughs> because she still like, likes this boy, you know, like mm-hmm. she's like. Like she's just a girl, a little girl who like likes a boy. Yeah, and like yeah. Zephyr, like Zeffirelli has his like the hair and the mustache, and he's like, is that? But then like the second that he's vulnerable, you see like, oh yeah, he's just a kid with like new muscles. And yeah, he's just trying to like be cool. Uh yeah. oh, the okay the 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 friend who goes off to work in the what was it called the spice mines or the the had a very specific name that I really made. Me yeah, happy. I don't remember what it was though. But then, like, when it goes, it almost felt like a return to Rushmore, but, like, the little play that he put on. Oh, right. The play. Yeah. With uh, with the guy from Ted Lasso. Yeah. Sam and... from Ted Lasso, which would have been, like, I, I think he would have shot this before he even started Ted Lasso. And now it's coming out. And he's he was, like, practically the star of Ted Lasso season two. And, um, oh, is that also the, the kid from... Uh, uh, um... What's the one where it's like they go on a road trip and he like has a gun? It's called like I am not okay with this or I will destroy you. Oh no, that's uh the no, end no, of the no. fucking world. Yeah, end, end of, of the, the fucking world. Yeah, yeah. Um no and Merlin, Sam from, right? Sam from Ted Lasso is um I haven't started uh, season two yet. Yeah. Well it's uh Sa- Sam Abasanya. Oh um, yes. Okay. Th- oh you're right, he he was in that. Yeah. He was the it was yeah uh it was but yeah that play was really fun it felt like it was directed by max (laughs) 
<laughs> like it felt like one of his plays, and like the the fact that the kid from uh <laughs> from from end of the fucking world just like jumps out the window, and he's the other kid is like he's still not moving, he's still <laughs> not moving, <laughs> he's still not moving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that yeah. was when i was really at the most like holy shit he's like spinning a lot of plates right now yeah um yeah because then you understand like oh i understand why that that couldn't be a line of dialogue you had to see this play that was inspired from this guy's decision right um, oh man so good um, and i really loved um francis mcdormand's vignette at the end with like her little plate of toast and like bill murray just like, coming and sitting down and yeah it was it was great yeah yeah god uh such a it it was yeah that's the thing i think it's my least favorite of the three but it's still great like i still loved watching it um i just don't have the connection to it the way that you do um but you know right like i was such a dork i mean like like, like when like the, the the song they're playing in the jukebox is like from a godard, a godard film masculine feminine uh-huh. And I was like, oh, the looking little things. <laughs> nice. <laughs> little my little with my little beret. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he uh he dies falling off of a pirate radio station. Right. Just a, a dumb accident. Yeah. Dumb stupid and, accident. Yeah, and the little the little shrine with like the 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 records and like the yeah. Yeah. Just like, oh, wow. Really? I'm, this affected me in a way I wasn't planning to. Especially yeah. this one because it was like the lightest. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, and then we go to our third and final piece, which is the private dining room of the police commissioner by Roebuck Wright, who is played by Jeffrey Wright uh, mm-hmm. in multiple time periods within right. the same thing. Because he is talking to Lev Schreiber, <clears throat> who is the host of a of a show. And he has a. He has a um, uh, 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 a mental thing that allows him to word for word remember everything that he's ever written, mm-hmm. and so uh, so Lev Schreiber asks him to recite his favorite piece of his, which turns out to be also one of Bill Murray's favorite pieces, the time that he uh, he ate with a police commissioner. And so he starts mm-hmm. to recite this article that he wrote, and then that's what we're yeah. what we're seeing. Uh, uh, Wright's character heavily inspired. He's even thanked in the special thanks part of the credits, but uh, James Baldwin, oh. uh, writer of like if Beale Street could talk, and and also kind of had a second life as a celebrity in the sixties and seventies as like a very loquacious talk show host. Oh, and, okay like spent a lot of like wrote of his time as like a black American, a, a, a black expatriate living abroad and like the cultural dysphoria of like fee, like the, 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 I mean, it, it's sp- talked a lot about in the short in Jeffrey Wright's character. Yeah. Uh, of like feeling like, where do I belong? Like I'm a stranger in a strange land. Right. Right. Um, so so this is about so so Roebuck works in the the like the food culture section mm-hmm. of the magazine. And so he's going to just like eat this crazy yeah. intense meal by like this really famous chef who happens yeah. to work for the the police. He's like a, for the a prison chef, but he's like amazing. Yeah. So he goes to do it 
And then as they're bringing out the first course, they're informed that the police commissioner's son has been kidnapped uh, by revolutionaries um, <laughs> led by Edward Norton. Yes. And uh, and the rest of this piece is about the process of getting his son back and then eventually eating food that this chef has cooked. Um, the police commissioner played by uh, Bond's greatest foe, Dominic Green from Quantum of Solace. <laughs> of course. We're just missing Mads. Right? He's the, oh, man, that's another thing. That's another yeah. pairing. Oh, I just want to say, Liev Schreiber, like, really great stealth clutch, like Wes Anderson player. Yes. Um, one of the highlights of Isle of Dogs, as I remember it. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, he's, he's really good in this because he is not doing a Wes Anderson thing. He is playing a seventies talk show host in like this perfect, like pitch perfect way. It's a pretty thankless role because it really does. He he really lets himself bleed into the background. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it was impressive, honestly, to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, like he really just let Jeffrey Wright, I mean, just own yeah. those scenes. Yeah. And he, I mean, like, yeah, he does. I mean, like this was his first time working with Wes, Wes Anderson and like just creates such a beautiful character with oh, yeah. a full life and like with him just like being lost at the beginning, like, it, it yeah. just kept peeling back layers. Cause he's kind of like funny, but then you, you see like the, the life that he's gone through and what was the, what was the joke about? Uh, like he was like he was like I get lost easily. It was like it's a side effect of being gay or a side effect of the homosexual. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the one weakness of being a homosexual. Is <laughs> that you get lost easily? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I I don't know what I don't know what that that is in reference to. I'm sure some people do. I I guess, but like my audience fucking lost it at that joke. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was about no, mine that too. joke. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Um but uh oh man. Um yeah, that whole sequence where he's talking to camera which yeah. is him reciting the article. It's like he's walking around trying to find the dinner in yeah, this like narrating. crazy building. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's he is as he's walking, he's talking to the camera, which is the article that is being recited on the talk show by him, which is the article that is in the final issue of the magazine. And like, none of this is weighing the viewer down. Yeah. It's just all happening so fluidly. Yeah. And you're just being led through this beautiful performance of Jeffrey Wright, AKA Bond's greatest ally, Felix Leiter. (laughs) (laughs) They're all here. They're all here. All of, all of Bond's friends and foes. Oh man. But uh, yeah. When's Daniel uh, Craig going to show up in a Wes Anderson? Oh man, are you kidding me? That'd be great. I know. Um <sighs> Edward Norton also just really wanted to hang out with Wes Anderson. Yeah. And just yeah, cuz it's like yeah, I think he has like like four or five lines and not yeah. a particularly like I mean his greatest scene is like all animated. Yeah. Sasha Ronan is all also. Right. Sasha Ronan. Yeah. yeah, barely in this. Yeah. Was, like, uh, I was surprised by that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, 
He was, yeah, I mean, Jeffrey Wright just, like, makes acting look easy. Where Because right. I was just, like, I was just watching him do this, and there would be these long power shots of him walking, like, perpendicular with the camera, staring down the barrel of the camera as, like, stuff is happening all around him as he's, like, walking, and mm-hmm. talking this monologue that is just so... Like loquacious, like, you know, yeah, like just yeah. like they all like very complicated things to remember to say exactly right. Mm-hmm. And it's it just, like just rolling off the tongue. Oh my god, it was nuts. It was and nuts. even like the the moment where he has to like pause in the seventies interview and like collect himself. Yeah. Of like, what was it he really didn't want to share something or like it wasn't related? And it's just like, yeah. Sorry, I've only seen it once. Um. Yeah, just struggling on it. But so like so they take the chef with them, the police, as they're trying to find the son so they can have like a good and you see like how it helps them. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, because the meal was so good and he like breaks down the meals. It's like they were able to think of a new plan and come up with a, a plan of attack. God. Yeah. So then uh so we get to the we get to the uh the animated sequence. Oh yeah. Um, which is, you know, drawn to look like a New Yorker cartoon. Mm-hmm. And or a car chase. Yeah, and it's 2D. Uh, and it's just stunningly gorgeous. Um, <laughs> and so goddamn funny, this car chase. Because it's going back to like his his uh feelings on on these sor- these kinds of things where he's like the benefit of me being me is that mm. I can have a car chase in a movie, but I don't have to shoot it. I can just animate it really weird. And people are really like, oh, yeah, that seems about right. <laughs> like, no one would be like, hey, we wanted a car yeah. chase. Right. Uh, and so you uh, get this amazing animated sequence. The bit where they, <laughs> they have to go on foot and they run through like, I, like, like seven panels or something like that mm-hmm. of like, play settings just to get back in the car and drive away. Oh, that was amazing. That reveal of like, just, yeah, that was, they yeah. just went in a fucking circle. <laughs> oh man. The, oh, they, they hired a guy just to be strong, to be like the muscle. Yes. And he's just like, well, to yeah. The- and that's the best part is he gets flung through when they stop. But then when they start again, he like bursts back out again, and yep. just goes right back to where he was on yeah. the windshield. Like I kept uh, being like, oh, he died. That's it. That was that's the end of him. And then he just like lands on his feet and just keeps going. Yeah. Oh man, so good. <laughs> um. And oh, but so the the prison chef is yes. so committed, or the police chef is so committed to the because he poisons the 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 kidnappers. Mm-hmm. But he has such a strong stomach that he just takes the poison to prove that it's not poison. And him and Jeffrey Wright share this quiet moment. Uh. Like so, there's this part in the story that Jeffrey Wright had, like the writer has thrown out because it made him too sad. Mm-hmm. And Bill Murray's like, well, he fishes it out of the trash and reads this beautiful kind of conversation of both of them, Jeffrey Wright and the chef sharing, like, like ah, oh, it was different. <laughs> it the was poison tasted like something I'd never tasted before. I've never, exp- I haven't experienced that in years. Yeah, and like they both kind of commiserate of being like. Oh, I'm not from Paris, or I'm not from Paris either. It's like, yeah, you know, like it's crazy, right? When you're in a new place, and, and Bill Murray's like, "This is why you write the article. This is the best part of the whole story." And 
if you're any if you've ever had this kind of relationship whether it's like a teacher or an editor or just like a friend it it's perfectly written yeah of someone not someone realize not realizing what the best part of their thing is that they made yeah 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 and then we also get the scene where um he brings him in to the fresh dispatch as a writer we get that scene the, oh my god yeah yeah where uh, he's been he's been arrested and he's like i'm gonna pay your bail but you're gonna read this book and you're gonna write 500 words on it yeah and i mean like it's bill murray's great because he's so underselling the generosity yes of He's like, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I, I need this done. You're a good writer. I read your stuff. But like the look on Jeffrey Wright's face of like, this is the kindest act that anyone's ever like yeah. shown to me. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh man. Um, but yeah, huge body count. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like the entire group of revolutionaries gets poisoned except for Edward Norton. <laughs> Who I think dies in the, in the car wreck. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh yeah, because he the I think the car like blows up, right? Mm-hmm. And but the but the uh the, the strong, strong man does a somersault and lands on his feet. <laughs> um uh yeah, and then um oh and uh and, and Willem Dafoe in a uh in in like a like a like a like a he, he created like the a look of a character that I was like, I want to watch an entire movie about this guy. I I don't yeah. know what he was it's captivating like Peter, to look at. Like this kind of like Peter Laurie, like <laughs> kind of nervous energy where it's yeah. like because he's this guy who knows all the numbers and knows all the books for the like the crime mafia of town, and so he's like, oh, he's all shifty. Yeah, yeah, oh, man. I, like look at the three characters he's played for Wes Anderson. He's played that. He's played. The scariest guy in the world in Grand Budapest Hotel. <laughs> right. And then the like the nicest guy in the world in Life Aquatic. Yeah. Oh man. The nicest, most loyal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. then the rat and fantastic Mr. Fox. Of course. And I think he's a dog in Isle of Dogs, I think. Yeah, I think everyone's in Isle of Dogs. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone is. Yeah. Who's but who's it- the main dog? Um, okay, well, so there's the dog that they're trying to find. Right. I think it's well, Edward Norton. The, oh, oh, it's Brian Cranston is the, is Brian the Cranston. dog. The, the mutt who's like, yeah. I hate humans, and then like falls in love with a human. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right, Brian Cranston. Man. He, yeah, they yeah. he could have missed him in this. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I don't know. I don't know who, Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's so stuffed. It's whole movie. stuffed. Yeah, that's the thing. And then we get so. this like beautiful epilogue at the end where it's like, you know, Bill Murray's character has died and they just are carrying on and they're like, okay, let's this let's write his obituary. Yeah. And it's just this yeah, it's it's it, it's so understated, but it's it carries like some real emotional weight to it by the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um beautiful film. And mm-hmm. It makes me I love this new thing that he does where he does a movie a, like two live action movies like back to back almost and then goes and does an animated film and disappears for like five <laughs> years and comes back. Um, yeah, yeah, I so, mean, that's really exciting that he's already shooting Asteroid Park or whatever the hell. Uh, um, yeah. Asteroid, Asteroid City. Yes. Yeah. Asteroid City, which I'm just now realizing 
feels like it's a um it's like a uh like a sister sequel or spiritual sequel to Moonrise Kingdom. Um Oh wow, you're right. Yeah, very similar title. You have the cast up for that by any chance? Uh let's see. Tilda Swinton, Bill Murray, Adrian Brody, Tom Hanks, Margot Robbie, Rupert Friend, uh Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, Brian Cranston, Jeff Goldblum, Hope Davis, Jeffrey Wright, Liv Schreiber, uh Tony yeah, Tony Revolori. Tony Romo? Yeah, t- Tony Revolori, uh Matt Dillon, uh Maya Hawk, Sophia Lillis, and Steve Park. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Um yeah, that's that's exciting. I mean, yeah, this was just such a I I I love that he's just he's like creating these big ensembles now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, everybody wants to be there for at least one of those dinners, right? I was, yeah, I was going to say, like, who, like, I mean, like, think about, like, Saoirse Ronan and, like, Edward Norton or Elizabeth Moss. Like, what, what could draw them to that other than just being in a Wes Anderson set for a few days? Right, right. Absolutely. I think that's all it is. Like, who, who doesn't, because you don't want to lose that connection mm-hmm. because you want to be invited to the next one, you the know? Next party. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's exactly what it is. And uh uh I'm 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 I'll be interested to see because I mean, you know, obviously Greta Gerwig is very busy, but I would be very interested to see her come back at some point down the road. Right. Yeah. In something. Um I mean same with but, Timothy Shimothy. Yeah, Timothy Shimothy. <laughs> yes. He's getting he's so busy. That's true. He's got another dune to make. Got another dune to make. He's got a Wonka to make. Yeah. Too Dune to Dune. Wonk. Too Dune to Dune. <laughs> no time to Dune. <laughs> no time to Dune. Um, he's got to make time to Dune. Uh, right. <laughs> it's contractually obligated. Um, oh, got to make Dune. Yeah. No, I did. This was. It was. It was. Uh, it was. It was fantastic. It was really. I was. I was shocked by just how much I liked it. Um, and, mm. and it happens to me every time with Wes Anderson movie, <laughs> right. the first time I see it every time I'm like, well, this is going to be the one that I don't really like that much. And then you watch it and you're just like, Nope, never mind, Forget it. Mm-hmm. He's really good. It's <laughs> um, kind of the takeaway from, from, from this season. Yeah. Is, yeah. Is, I think we've somehow undervalued him. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. We were leaving this movie and, uh, and Bethany, um said said two things that i thought were were very interesting um one was that french dispatch she felt like he can't make another movie now because like this is the most wes anderson that any right. movie could ever possibly be mm-hmm. and i'm like i feel like we think that every time right and then I mean, he Gra- out wes anderson's himself right i mean think about grand budapest hotel right that felt like such a masterpiece still is right yeah and then this, um, and then the other thing that she, she said was, um, uh, she said that, um, oh, let me remember it. Thank God for editors. Um, oh, I remember the other thing that she said was that. Uh, she was like, is Wes Anderson 
America's Miyazaki. <laughs> and at first I was like, I was like, really like, oh no, I, that, that seems weird. Right. But then like the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I, I can't me, I can't really build an argument against it, you know, right. In terms yeah. of like the intricacy and the, the, he builds this little crew of people that he leads and mm-hmm. like, you know, is very interested in uh, a lot of a lot of American stuff, but then also European stuff where like, you know, like Miyazaki would have something just said in like sort of generic Europe, like in, uh, right. you know, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, yeah. Or 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 uh, uh, like Kiki, um, where it's just like mm-hmm. generic Europe town, you know, like almost right. like a like like Europeville in like or Disneyland or something, even a little bit. Yeah, or um, uh, uh, Italy in um, uh, Poco Rosso, you know, yeah. Poco Rosso. So it's it is uh, it it is an interesting comparison mm-hmm. that I was like, they're nothing alike, but mm-hmm. at the same time, like I can see, I I see the connection that she's making. Sure. You know, I it would seem that people have a lot more fun working on a Wes Anderson movie. Sure. Well, but the honor of working on a Miyazaki movie (laughs) is the thing, right? It's worth it. Yeah, Miyazaki is is I feel like is right on the line between on one side is Wes Anderson and on the other side is Stanley Kubrick. (laughs) Oh, okay, yeah. (laughs) And he's right in the middle. Yeah, chaotic (laughs) evil, chaotic good. Yes. Then strictly order. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I thought you were doing another. Uh, kind of spectrum of like the who who's the most obsessive, most meticulous, like Stanley Kubrick, and then like the least would be I think oh. Kevin Smith. Oh yeah, no, I was thinking more of just like yeah, more of the evil to good of ratio. obsessive, yeah, creating their own universes. Yeah, right, right. Um, Nolan but, seems uh, like lawful good. I feel like lawful good, sure. Yeah, where he's like a robot who just wants to show you a good time but he's a right. robot well, so like he he's lawful good stanley kubrick's lawful evil yeah. yeah isn't this fun it makes no sense and it's out of order yeah you can't hear anything <laughs> yeah you know a miyazaki. spy movie <laughs> miyazaki's lawful neutral and uh and then yeah i guess i guess was anderson would be like lawful chaotic law cha- no that's not a thing right chaotic good Okay. Oh, chaotic. Good. Right. 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 Neutral. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I have to. I have to like build the grid and look at it in order no, to for sure. to make sense in my head. But yeah, it's it is uh it is interesting. But um, it's that and it's it just that, feels like no please. Yeah, it's that it's that auteur thing. Yeah, and it feels like this also reminded me a lot of uh the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which was like the the Cohen's version of an anthology that came out a couple years ago. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, I think this was like more contained. I think that one is much more like, yeah, you'll, you'll probably like some and you won't like some. Yeah, right, right. You, a little more meandering. Definitely. Yeah. No, no, I never did see it because I didn't hear great things about it. So I, I never bothered. But um, it seemed like the kind of movie that would have benefited from not being produced by Netflix. Right. Uh, it's interesting. That might could very well be the last Coen Brothers movie, though. Right. Yeah. yeah. One of them seems to have retired. Yeah. Which, I mean, goddamn, you I mean, made enough movies. So yeah, feel free. Like they're, they're both in their like mid-60s at this point. So it's like, right. yeah. Yeah. 
So, uh, so we're we're gonna rank them next time, right? On the yes, on the yeah, we'll do that on the in between episode. We'll look back at the whole rigmarole uh, in our next in in the, in our between episode coming out uh, next week on New Year's Eve. Uh, wow. Oh, uh, Merry Christmas, everybody! By the way, <laughs> Merry Christmas! It's, it's it's Christmas Eve it, as you're hearing. It came this. it came just the same. Yeah, or or perhaps you perhaps you're not <laughs> finding a corner of your like family get together to listen to the latest episode of Franchiseography, and you're just listening to this on like the 26th or 27th. I don't. I know. can relate to that. Like needing yeah. a little break. I'm, I'm going to go to the bathroom for 15 minutes, and you just going to turn this on. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. Yeah, there's only there's only so much you can take of family talking shit. Um, sure. <laughs> what are you doing over there? <laughs> How do you make a living doing that? Anyway, uh, I'll tell you the real problem with this country. Oh God, I'm I'm gonna go listen to a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there I gotta go. <laughs> uh, Jeffrey Wright. <laughs> anyway, um. I- yeah, so that's that's that. We'll uh, we'll talk to you guys next week with a uh, a next uh, between episode announcing the uh, mini series that will follow the Matrix, which is our next mini series. So, mm-hmm. um, thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.